Navigator Asia's monthly podcast, The FNA Food and Beverage Trailblazers. This is a series where we speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage firms in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearly, the editor of Food Navigator Asia, and as always, I am your host for this series. Joining me today is Marcus Mirk, founder and CEO of Vietnam's Leka. Leka specializes in making healthy snacks from very localized ingredients within the Southeast Asian region, which we will definitely discuss in more detail shortly. Uh, but first of all, hello, Marcus. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Pearly. Uh, thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. Great. It's really great to have you here today. And I think the very first thing I'd like to start by asking you about is about, well, let's talk about healthy snacking in Vietnam in general, just to set the scene. You know, is this healthy snacking in general like a big thing in Vietnam in particular at the moment? How are you seeing this sort of market compared to other Asian markets? We see people loving snacks all over the place and it's been part of the culture for a long time. Healthy snacking is maybe somewhat of a term. Um, it's trendy, but also it's definitely a new thing at the same time. I entered healthy snacking when I moved from Singapore to Vietnam a few years ago. And I started to do a lot of trail running uh, at the time. And through the trail running community, uh, which is quite big in Vietnam, uh, you have a lot of mountains, a lot of beautiful landscapes. You, um, through that community, I learned a lot about what snacking or especially healthy snacking is possible. So I can see that the sports community, whether it's running or cycling or any other sports, is growing quite fast in Vietnam, like any other Asian country. And those people need food. Those people need snacks. So we call those snacks healthy snacks for active people. So um, you mentioned, you know, healthy snacking for um, active people. But um, do you think it is also true that this is also a bit getting to be a bit more general? Like, you know, even the general consumer who probably isn't as active as, as you said, you know, trail running or, you know, fitness people in general. Uh, is healthy snacking also getting to be bigger among Vietnamese regular consumers as well? Yeah, for sure. I think that has to come with a general awareness of healthy living, uh, a general awareness of what's good for your body and also for your mind. And that awareness is definitely rising. So I usually imagine a pyramid where on the top of the pyramid, you have a very small market of crazy, healthy people. So those are the Ironman athletes, those are the ultra distance runners who just because of their sports have to be very aware of healthy lifestyles and especially nutrition. And then once you move a bit further down the pyramid, you, yeah, you come to the markets of People go to the gym, they do Pilates, they do yoga, and those customer segments are growing and definitely are more aware of calories, of protein content, um, of carbs and sugar. Um, and then, yeah, the, the, the broader segments below even, they maybe only go, you know, for a little walk here and then and, and join a five-kilometer race now. They're also considered healthy and active. And even those people, um, they are now really into what's good for me, Broadly speaking, you know, what is good for me, meat versus vegetables versus nuts. So, yeah, for sure, I think the, the health food pyramid is growing um, and and it doesn't have you don't have to be a crazy runner to be healthy. You can also just, you know, enjoy active lifestyles uh, and already be aware of what you put inside you 
to have a healthy mind and healthy body. You mentioned the pyramid, and I like to talk a bit more about that. You know, in relation to of course your brand, like uh, so. You, when we last spoke, you mentioned to me that uh, you know you're, you're developing products to sort of like um, target consumer segments from the top of the pyramid down, and then you're going down to the middle of the pyramid, and then all the way to the bottom of the pyramid, the general consumer. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your products, you know, and how all of these things are coming together for you in your innovation? More by accident than by planning, to be honest. We entered it, the healthy snacking, into the via the trail running community. Uh, as I said, this is a personal passion of mine, and it's a very energetic and adoption friendly community who wants to try out new things. And to be honest, was quite underserved a few years ago here in the region. So we started by making energy bars. Right? So it's a very simple concept of taking local, in this case, Vietnamese ingredients, so dried fruits and nuts and herbs and spices from directly from the farm and put them together into this yeah, very yummy and delicious energy bar that also serves the functionality of giving you healthy energy. Because we use ingredients here from the Vietnamese farms, they taste more fresh and more local. Um, that's the first product line we launched with, um, making sure that yeah, we don't disappoint the high standards of Asian taste buds, <laughs> as, as, as we know that people are used to very good food here, especially in Vietnam, to be honest. <laughs> And we want to make sure that it's delicious and at the same time serves a purpose because I think that's where we want to really bridge the gap between being delicious and functional. Um, usually foods are either very functional but don't taste that nice or they taste very nice but are full of sugar and don't mm -hmm. have any functionality. And we want to kind of bring those two together for the first segment, the pyramid, top of the pyramid. And now we are entering more product lines, as I said before, to serve the uh, other segments in the pyramid, for example, the gymmers, the fitness people um, with a protein bar and granola as well, which again has a different purpose for the reduced sugar snacking that we also see as a big as a big market segment for us. Touching a little bit on your use of, you know, the localized ingredients, you know, making localized flavors. And I know this is an area you're pretty passionate about. Why don't you tell us a bit more, Marcus, on your learnings with regard to, you know, flavors here in the region and what you mentioned just now about how Asian taste buds do appear to be, you know, much more complex, much more, how would you say, picky than elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Many, many learnings. I mean, when you just go online and you Google energy bar recipe, I mean, you come to either lots of YouTube channels, a lot of blog posts, uh, usually from you know, women or men in the West, and they have very typical recipes, which include, you know, oats and dates and mm. other very common Western flavors. Um, but we said from the beginning, no, 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 let's keep it local and use what we have in front of our doorstep. There are no dates here, there are no oats here, and there's so much more, to be honest, what, what this country or these countries have to offer. Vietnam and many other countries here have these amazing dried fruits, um, whether it's prunes or mangoes or pineapple, banana, you name it, or jackfruit. And then we were experimenting, you know, in Vietnam, you have this quite an interesting divide where on the north side of Vietnam, you have more the taste buds who are, I guess, closer to, to more bitter and savory snacking. And the further you move down south towards Ho Chi Minh and the Mekong Delta, people are more into the, the fruits and the nuts side of things. Um, and I think that kind of actually represents the maybe the Asian split where Northeast Asia is more into those 
savory, bitter flavors. And then the further you go south, you have more spicy and fruity and sweeter flavors like Thailand or Philippine, Indonesia, Malaysia also like the kind of flavors. Um, yeah, so we had to really cater towards those two within Vietnam. And as we are now expanding outside Vietnam, we can also see which countries and which cultures appreciate what kind of flavors. And um, yeah, I would argue actually that the the sweeter or sweetened Western flavors are not so really in demand. We tried it out and it didn't go so well. Um, and now that you are expanding as well to Malaysia, Singapore, for example, we even for those markets, we're going to have specific flavors. For example, Singapore, of course, we have to have a salted egg flavor. <laughs> and um, we're going to have a granola bar with salted egg, for example. It's also amongst the first here or one that is matcha latte. Mm -hmm. And that is a bit more bitter, um, so on and so on. I didn't expect that how complex and sophisticated the taste buds are here, where when you give it, I say I'm German, give it a German uh, friend to to try our products, they can they can taste the pineapple, yeah, they can taste you know <laughs> the, the 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 walnut, but if you give it to Vietnamese, for example, they are so good in really identifying every single ingredient. They can specify the different type of textures and sweetness and sourness. It's it's really mind blowing how how much more the Southeast Asian people are used to great taste and flavors. Another part about um, your products, of course, I guess another big part I would say is like your sustainable product packaging, which you brought up to me previously. And also based on the fact that I know you have a background in material engineering, could you give us some deeper insight? Um, as you said, I'm a material scientist back in the days in Germany and I studied actually plastics, uh, not for food, but for, for aerospace. We could easily have used single-use plastic, which uh, for all these snack wrappers, you know, are made out of usually aluminum foil and some kind of plastic foil. Mm -hmm. And that is single-use, you can't recycle it, you can't compost it, can't do anything with it. Um, so we went down the route for our bar wrappers, the energy bar, the protein bar to use. It's called bio-based, home compostable and fully biodegradable packaging. Which basically means it's made of cornstarch layer, uh, it's made from cellulose and from paper, and within an environment of a home compost, uh, within 18 months, it will basically fully biodegrade and doesn't leave any toxic residuals behind. That's a pretty innovative material um, that, that, that I think as far as we know, we're, we're amongst the first in Southeast Asia to use it. For the pouches, we are um, going to use a material that is recycled already and recyclable um, plastic that um, we have been innovating also a lot with our partner here. And uh, it's a Ziploc pouch. You can also reuse it again. And that's, again, one of the first Southeast Asia to use it and to try it out. Uh, it has the same shelf life has the same you know um, uh, conditions and requirements to meet all the food standards so there's no issue there the world whether it's machines or whether it's supply chains or um, the end consumer are all working around plastic so mm -hmm. to suddenly introduce a new material just for the machine itself was a huge challenge to adjust it so it works well um, and yeah we can Proudly say we finally cracked it, but it took us nine months to get there. Our pricing is exactly the same as any other product wrapped in single-use plastic. So we want to give every consumer the ability to, leave, to live 
healthy and eco-friendly without spending more money, right? which I usually think is a big problem. You mentioned previously also your in-house factory, which is, I think you said, located in the middle of a fruit farm and then it's uh, pretty carbon neutral as well. So um, I'm, so, I'm wondering you know, how does that work for you, you know, as you scale up as well and you're now looking to export to more and more markets, how do you think it's going to remain possible to keep up the sustainability of your operations, you know, still keep it carbon neutral as it is now? That's one of the key challenges, I would say, yeah. us as a, as a brand and me as an owner of the company to stay mm -hmm. true to our values. The further you grow, the more you grow, you also have to you know, make sure that you are still centered around what you mm -hmm. set out to do, right? being healthy, being eco-friendly, working with the farms directly. So I'm sure we will face those challenges uh, once we're yeah. growing. Um, we took the decision from day one to produce in-house. We wanted to make sure that we can control our supply chain and quality as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So we actually found this, yeah, as you're right, it is a very cool building in the middle of a jackfruit forest. And, and uh, we converted that building into our own lacquer factory. Uh, it's just outside Hanoi. Anyone welcome to, to visit, by the way. Uh, it's a very cool, open light, green factory um, where we are now producing every day our products. And yeah, we have made sure to be zero waste. So we recycle all our waste, of course. We separate all our waste. We work with local communities to educate also on that front. And yeah, we've been, since February this year, we've been uh, carbon neutralized. Mm -hmm. So we have done our carbon assessment. We're doing it every month. The food is the biggest contributor to our uh, carbon footprint. Um, so the food in itself, how it is grown and harvested, and then of course how it's transported. And we can see in our data very clearly. So the further, the closer we get the food to our factory, the less the carbon footprint, and the more sustainable the, the food is, is grown and harvested mm -hmm. uh, without fertilizers, without much water, so on and so on, um, the better the carbon footprint as well. In the future, we might open up few further production lines, uh, say in Thailand or Indonesia, for example, because just equally to Vietnam, you find amazing ingredients there with from great farms and we can localize even further our products for those markets. So uh, there might be, you know, we can replicate the model from Vietnam to, to other Southeast Asian countries here and work directly with those, um, with those farmers as we have the model established here in Vietnam. So I don't think actually disadvantage, it can actually be used as an advantage as we grow. Um, it's just about making sure again that the model works and the products have the great, great, great quality that we have right now. So now uh, we've talked quite a fair bit about you know your products, the industry, the sustainability part of the whole thing. But now I would like to find out a little bit more about your own entrepreneurial journey so far. So you know I think we've mentioned a little bit about you having a background in material engineering. I think you're also doing some tech investment previously in Singapore. So you know all of these added together, you know, how did you find yourself, you know, here as a food entrepreneur? And of course, you know, all the way from Germany to Singapore <laughs> to Vietnam as well. Yeah, there, there are actually a few more stops in between as well. I think if you <laughs> zoom in, you would think, wow, this guy is a bit, a bit crazy. And I'm probably I'm a bit crazy, but zooming out for, for a minute first is I just love building products and working with great teams. I like to initiate and then kind of carry on great ideas um, and whether it's hardware, software, whether it's uh, you know food or not food, 
Um, and I guess my background in engineering is quite relevant because I like to build and, and solve problems. I started as that material science engineer to solve plastic problems for the wings of the A320 and A350 airplane <laughs> of Airbus, and then moved to solving problems in London, um, where we I was part of several tech startups in in children games and in energy management software, so kind of techy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that some of them went quite well. That was a very good experience to scale up businesses and see the founding team really doing it very well. And then I moved to Singapore for five and a half years to be more involved in the investment side. So I co-founded um, investment funds, investment companies to invest in the regional um, fintech companies. And again, it was solving for the need of um, giving founders good supportive capital and help them grow in the region. Um, and so I was more on the investment side. Yeah. And then long story short, really, it was about to double down on my passion for running. And that kind of closed the circle where I decided to spend more time in the Vietnamese mountains and explore a bit more what's going on in this market. When you are in Singapore, as you might know, you, you see South Asia growing. You have an idea what's going on, but also you're not really in it. And and so mm-hmm. I decided, you know what, let's, let's kind of really find out what, what's here in Vietnam. And uh, especially Vietnam fascinates me as a country uh, out of all the other countries that are also great for its own reasons. But I really was curious about Vietnam and it has mountains. <laughs> so <laughs> I, um, I was like, OK, let's go. And I did see various opportunities, um, all, I think, part of this broader um, trend of serving the middle class or the serving the growing middle class whether it's in sports or on health or i mean there's many different things happening uh education is another big one and yeah i you know when you run you're very hungry and when you're hungry you need food so i decided to make my own food and and that's where the energy bar thing started and now i'm this german guy with my amazing vietnamese team here <laughs> in hanoi and Ho Chi Minh and now in Singapore and in Thailand, and we're growing in Southeast Asia. Looking at all your vast different experiences, I'm wondering, you know, from moving from, I don't know, like, you know, tech investment, I guess, one of the most recent ones for you, and moving from tech investment into the food industry, you know, what has been the biggest challenge that you have found? And, you know, how, how have you adapted in a sense? Good question. How, to, how do you apply knowledge, right? That is really the key question. Mm. How do you apply knowledge? across industries what i saw from singapore was these various hubs so you have manila you have jakarta kuala lumpur saigon bangkok and so on as these hubs and i see this new generation let's call them right now the southeast asian millennial the kind of new customer segment who was the first time in southeast asia's history very similar across different countries the parents are quite different. You know, a Malaysian 60-year-old is very different to a Vietnamese 60-year-old. Mm-hmm. But the 30, 35-year-old Malaysian is quite similar to the 35, 30-year-old Vietnamese now. Speak English, educated into technology, into new things, into food, into sports, so on and so on. And that was for me like, wow, this is this is great. I saw from the tech investment side where tech startups are now, you know, like say Grab or you know, Shopee is on. They are quite regional and attractive, very similar customer segment. They're different and localized, of course, but the idea is very similar. And and I saw that scalability opportunity and I thought, hmm, how about doing something similar in food and uh, trying to really uh, move across those hubs rather than countries? I mean, I'm not interested right now 
to sell in the Vietnamese countryside nor in the Thai countryside. I want to rather stay in the in the hubs that are mm. metropole urban areas and where the consumers are the first time quite similar and we can manage those communication and branding quite well. Okay, now we're on that point about, you know, how you are sort of like growing and moving into different countries. I am also wondering where do you see, you know, yourself and Lika in the next, I would <laughs> say perhaps the next six months, a year, and then all the way down to like five years, ten years down the line? I do know where we want to go. Again, it's about becoming this one of the biggest brands in Southeast Asia, five years, ten years from now. Um, that's that's key. I definitely want to serve those different customer segments across Southeast Asia. And then it would make me and probably my staff and many of our customers very happy if we're able to offer our snacks to overseas. So we're talking about large markets like Japan or Europe mm-hmm. or US, where I do see this increase in interest in Southeast Asian healthy snacks. Southeast Asia is considered as an actually very healthy part of the world. We all know of great food. I mean, many people travel to Thailand, to Vietnam, Indonesia for its food. Um, and so we want to ride that reputation and say, hey, you know what? You can have now this healthy food through our snacks. Quite fascinating to 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 bring it out there and, and, and really bring brands here from Asia to the world because it is, Asia's decade and 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 it's the tension on Asia is is only increasing and um, yeah I think we, we would love to support that movement. Okay, great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Marcus. It was so great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to share more what we're doing and hopefully all of you can try Lekka soon. <laughs> Very much indeed. Looking forward to that. And yes, okay, thank you so much. And thank you also everyone for listening to this podcast as well. And I wish everyone a great day ahead. If you're to Asia, this is Curly, signing off.